the Bible Study Podcast, episode 170. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues with part six on a study on money. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I'm hoping you've been learning something from this study on money. Last week, I ended with a question that, is it possible that when God blesses us, when he gives us more than our barns can hold, and we looked at that particular story from the New Testament, that he doesn't intend for that to just be for our benefit. So today we're going to talk about a subject that usually in the church is called stewardship. Now you can look in your Bible for the word stewardship and you actually won't find as many verses as you might think. So it's something that the theme is there, but not necessarily in real explicit verses. So we're going to have to pick this out a bit. So let's go back, first of all, to Old Testament law. We're going to go back to Leviticus 27 and see what the law required of the people of Israel. This is a section of the law that says, starting in verse 30, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value of it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Let's put that in English here. What they're saying here, the sense of a tithe, and you may have heard of a tithe in church, but basically the idea is... This is an Old Testament idea that one-tenth of everything we have should go back to God, should be reserved for God. And this is expressed in terms of flocks because the people that it's being addressed to are a pastoral people. They're a people of flocks. And they're in the wilderness at this point, so they don't even have fields. They have flocks. And so basically it's saying one-tenth of everything and not the tenth that you don't want and there's also verses that talk about the first fruits of the harvest, that basically the first thing that comes in belongs to God, the first tenth. And so that's an Old Testament thing, and you'll hear that in many churches, people talking about tithing. And I believe it is a good practice. That is something my wife and I practice. But I also think it's an Old Testament practice. We're going to look at that a little more. The thing, One thing that we should understand is God doesn't ask for our money because he needs it. And a good chapter that talks about that is Psalm 50, verses 8 through 7. This is a section that comes out of God kind of mad at people who are giving him the sacrifices, but still not living in a way that brings this particular section says, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the fields are mine. So one of the things we have to understand is there's this concept here, Old Testament, New Testament, that all belongs to God. And that God doesn't need what we have. That the idea of giving is really more relational and more having to do with our need to be giving than it is God's need for what we have. And usually you get this in church when they're asking you to fill out a pledge card. And so it's usually coming from somebody who's asking you for money. Well, this is not going to be followed by me asking for you to send in money to support the Bible study podcast. And to be honest, I had somebody recently who offered to send in money. And I'm not sure what to do about that. I'll be honest with you because I'm a little uncomfortable 
accepting money to do this because because money can corrupt motives. But anyway, the concept here is that God owns it all. And not just the tenth, but that God is asking for us to give a tenth. Now let's move ahead. We're going to cover a number of different scriptures today, which is why I'm going to move kind of fast. Let's move to the parable of the talents in the New Testament. And this is Matthew 25. And we're going to deal with verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I should pause here for a second. A talent at this point, although the English word derives from this biblical passage, a talent in this context is gold, and it's probably a year's worth of gold. So it's a fairly large amount. Continuing on, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents came. Master, he said, You have entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest." Take the talent from him and give it to the one who had the ten talents. For everyone who is will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a strange story, and yet it is one that we often hear during a stewardship campaign in church when we're talking about this idea of that we are entrusted by God with what we have. And so let's look a little bit at this very odd story here about the talents. Again, talent being a weight of money and a generous weight of money. So he is trusting the servants. One thing that's interesting is one with five, one with two, one with one. Not everyone is given equally. But the two who are faithful with what they have been given, in this case faithful meaning earning more for their master, are both praised exactly the same. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. Now, I said little here, but note that I'm also saying that a talent is roughly five years' wages, two years' wages is what they've been trusted with. To us, not little, but to the master, who has the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament about God, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. To the master, it would be little. No matter what we have, it is little compared to what God has. Even if you're Bill Gates or a billionaire listening to this, what you have compared to what God has is small. It's more than what I have, but the issue here is not 
what they were given, but what they did with it. The issue here is faithfulness. Remember, that's the praise of the master is, you have been faithful with what you were given. Same praise for the person with five as the praise for the person with two. And you have been faithful with little, you'll be trusted with more. So there's an issue here of trust and faithfulness. And then this other one says, I was afraid, and so I buried it in the ground. I didn't do anything with it. That's one of the reasons, I believe, why this word talent has become the English word that it is, is that we are given many things, both possessions as well as talents, what we now call in English abilities or talents, that we should not bury them, is one of the things that you will also hear in stewardship sermons. Your time and your money are both valuable. Your abilities and your gifts are all valuable. And what do you do with them, and do you bring praise and glory to God? Now, I'm going to move on a bit here and look at an even stranger passage about money. And we're going to do a lot of the strange passages, apparently, today. And this is the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, and this is from Luke 16, verses 1 through 15, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Pause here for a second. What? (laughs) This is a strange story. Usually dishonest actions in the Bible are not commended. In fact, there's all sorts of passages we may or may not get a chance to look at in the study on money, talking about people who have unfair scales, for instance, who are cheating people. And the Bible is definitely against that. So don't take this out of context and think that Jesus is telling us that God is looking for people who are dishonest. But he's trying to make a point with this story about this shrewd but dishonest person. Remember, he says right here, the master commended the dishonest manager. He understands that he is being dishonest, but he is acting shrewdly. And here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. 
So we often talk about you cannot serve both God and money, but we don't put it in this context of this very strange parable. The point here that Jesus is making is one of trust. Stewardship is the word that we have chosen to use with, but trust is really the issue here, that God entrusts us both with time and ability and with money. And are we faithful with that? Because if we can't be faithful with worldly wealth, how can we trust it with true riches? Did you notice that phrase? Worldly wealth, true riches. They're sneering at Jesus, the Pharisees are, because he is not dealing with money as if it were as valuable as they think it is. He's saying, use your money to gain friends because it's less important than what happens after. It's less important than eternal dwellings. It's less important than true riches. Okay, And then to wrap this up this week and get it a little more concrete, I think, we're going to look at what John says in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. What John says, there's a lot of words in there, what John says is that the mark of being a Christian is our love. And that part of that love, how it is acted out, how it becomes real, is that if we have material possessions and we see our brother in need, we have pity on them. He calls us to love with actions and in truth, and not just with words. What we do with our money expresses who we are and whose we are. Right now, as I record this, we have my 91-year-old mother-in-law living downstairs. And we took her in because it was the right thing to do. We have a big enough house to house my mother-in-law and a niece who came to help care for her and a dog that came with the niece. 
we've had a chance to have other people live with us over time because it seems to me to be the right thing to do. That I can't believe that this house that I've been given, if it has extra space, is meant for me to buy extra stuff. That there's an intention that God has given me things to bless those who he loves. And that's part of what it means to be loving with actions and in truth. We're going to end there this week. That's a longer episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. As always, thanks so much for listening. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.